On to week two of the OHL as the night shift rolls on with the London Knights playing a game throughout the course of the week and have a doubleheader this coming weekend on Friday and Saturday. The night shift, Kyle Gamard, Mike Stubbs, your host. You can follow us on socials at Stubbs980 on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. I am at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. Stubbs is with two Bs. You can follow the podcast wherever you get podcasts, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and or Spotify. Uh, Mike, you had a nice little road trip halfway through the week to the Sioux to go watch the Knights and call the game as they took on the Greyhounds. Both teams into the game going in. We're both 2-0. and The Sioux at that point had scored 18 combined goals leading in through the first two games. This one was a very close contest, Mike. You were there. You called it. You saw what happened. Let's start with that game here. Knights held the Sioux Greyhounds to two goals through 65 minutes. So that right there was a feat. The Sioux Greyhounds are a lot. They are a lot to deal with. They do come at you. There are times when they don't just jump one defenseman up. Uh, they jump two. Rick Stedman talked about that before the game. They really like to push that pace, and uh, it's one of those things where they're getting four or five guys up the ice. And the Knights were ready for that. As Rick Stedman outlined it, no, you, you were ready for that. And so this, as much as... It was a game that did fly back and forth. It was a game where there was some good attention to detail on defense. Max McHugh scored his first goal of the season. Great play by Ruslan Gazazov getting into the corner right off the faceoff. Poked the puck through and it went right to Juan Copeland. And Juan Copeland found Max McHugh and he made a nice little play in front to score. And that put the Knights up one to nothing. Andrew Gibson tied it in the second period on this great big blast on a puck that came around the boards. There was kind of a jam up along the boards and, and neither a Knights player nor a Sioux Greyhounds player could stop the puck. And it slid right back and Gibson just wired it. He does that. He's a second round pick of the Detroit Red Wings. Very good player. And then later in the second period, the Knights went ahead and their power play continues to work. Kyle, I know we're going to talk about it because through three games, it's clicking at 50%. 50%. Now, this stuff will happen early in a season because, sure, 10 opportunities, five goals in three games. But this was another look from the power play. And where do you have your best power play success? You have it when you can keep the penalty killers guessing. And that's what the Knights can do. We talked about Casper Haltonen moving into different positions on the power play. He's going to have one primary one, which will be on the left side, top of the left circle, kind of like Alexander Ovechkin, but he scored a goal in Niagara right from that bumper position in the high slot. And then in this case, he was in the penalty box because there was an original power play for the Knights, and then coincidental minors were called, and Kasper Haltonen was part of the coincidental minors as he went off with Alex Kostov, who was called for diving, and that left him watching from the penalty box. So he and his three power play goals saw Sam Dickinson get to a puck. But even before we talk about the Sam Dickinson part, Sam O'Reilly, who scored the power play goal, deserves all the credit because the awareness that he had off a of faceoff where he won the faceoff, but he was trying to get the puck back to Oliver Bonk and it, it didn't quite get there, but he had the sense to turn around and then move it back to Oliver Bonk. And then 
Max McHugh was involved, Sam Dickinson, Denver Barkey. Next thing you know, Dickinson is taking this beautiful low shot right from the middle of the blue line, and Sam O'Reilly tips it in, and that gave the Knights a 2-1 lead. Travis Hayes is a name, Kyle, we need to get to know. This guy's only 16 years old. If you follow the OHL, you'll recognize the last name because – His brother is Gavin Hayes, who plays for the Flint Firebirds. And his other older brother is Avery Hayes, who won back-to-back OHL championships, one with Hamilton, one with Peterborough. Travis is just like Avery in so many ways in that he's got this tremendous shot and he can hide. And he did that. And he did it very well. Kind of hit off in the left corner. Next thing you know, he's taking a cross-seam pass and he's burying it. He's 16 years old. He has four goals in three games. Yeah, and that's and that's to be expected. It's funny, too, when you get certain traits down like a family tree. And, of course, Avery Hayes, who we watched for many years in the OHL, do what we're seeing right now from now his younger brother. And, yeah, four goals in three games. I know, again, it's the same thing like you said with the power play, right? You go five for ten. It's early in the season. You're kind of working things out. But when you get off to a hot start to begin the season as a as a goal scorer with four goals in three games, that's nothing to, to sniff about. And he's off to a pretty good start. And, yeah, we need to keep that name uh, in our memory banks as these two teams play later on this year well it was impressive right through 60 minutes and then the overtime the overtime might have been wilder than any overtime that has featured one shot I think we saw a total of I'd call it four and a half breakaways I think there were three on the night side and then there were there was like one and a half on the greyhound side And the overtime flew back and forth. Chances felt like they were coming from all over the place. And then you look down at the end, shots on goal, Knights one, Greyhounds none. And you said, well, how did that even happen? But it was crazy. Nobody could score. And then it went to a shootout and still nobody could score. Owen Wilmore had a great start in goal. He, in the regular season, was making his first start in the preseason. He had a save percentage of 933, goals against average of 2.04. We had talked about how good he was, and he earned a start. Uh, he'd had a, a bit of an illness at the start of the season, and so this gave him an opportunity to get in net, made two saves, and then Jack Beck ended up scoring the only goal of the shootout and won it for Sault Ste. Marie. But there are three more games between these two clubs, and I think we're going to see a lot more of the same. So the Greyhounds maybe weren't predicted to be as good as they are. Sometimes teams will get off to a fast start. I don't know, Kyle, I saw depth, I saw skill, and I saw a team that, again, is a lot to handle with the way that they jump at you down the ice, jumping up one defenseman, sometimes both defensemen, in trying to create offensive chances. They just believe in their ability to possess the puck, and they do it very well. Well, and they do. And we talked about this on the earlier episode this week on the podcast. This you you look at the Sioux Greyhounds, and maybe they weren't the team you were thinking of at the beginning of the year to jump out to three uh three three and oh start. But then you go down the roster and you're like, oh yeah, they have this guy. Oh yeah, they have some depth here. And then you realize, oh, they have a pretty good team. And that's exactly what we saw. London was a highly ranked team coming into the season. And yes, they're still waiting on a, you know, a guy like Easton Cowan and Owen Wilmore got his first start. And by the way, I think he looked very good. That's a great game. A two, two going into a a shootout where anything can happen. I thought he looked good. He's going to be a nice guy to come back on with Michael Simpson as the de facto number one for this team. But the Sioux Greyhounds, a hot start. And again, when you look at your roster, the more and more you look at it, the less surprised you are that, yeah, maybe they could get off to a start like this. 
No, exactly. So the Greyhounds may be running with anybody in the OHL this year. And now the Knights, Kyle, come back home and the trip back had them arriving at Budweiser Gardens just about 5 a.m. So by the time everybody had picked everything up and put everything away and you made your way home, you probably walked through the door right around the time you were on the air on Country 104 doing a morning show. Yeah, <laughs> right, right around then. Yeah, sounds about right. I remember I've joked about potentially going on the road with you calling games in case of an emergency. And I, I don't think I would have been able to because I would have missed my show. Uh, you know, I cut your 104. But uh, yeah, those I don't know, Mike, that's a crazy trip for you. But it's nice that the next two games are at home. It's a nice little just trip down uh, Queen Street to get the Budweiser Gardens. But back to back games at home the night still, you know, perfect. Not outside of losing in uh, a shootout, but no losses in regulation to start the year. Uh, we'll be a ton of fun a couple good tests too. north bay is a team that was quite a good team last year uh the battalion lost 5-4 in overtime to windsor um and windsor's going to be a, a we'll see how they are this year as well but you know the battalion are a team mike where we talked about them earlier on before the season started too where i don't know essentially where they're going to be they weren't necessarily a team for me that thought they were going to be right up there uh, going with the knights but you you never know it's always fun getting an early view at some of these teams it is. And North Bay is a team where if you build from the defense out, they have an exceptional goaltending tandem in Don DiVincentis and then Londoner Charlie Robertson, who played against Windsor. So we probably will not see Charlie Robertson playing against the London Knights. So he doesn't play in his hometown this time. Uh, probably by next year when he is the number one goalie, he'll be the guy playing in London. But we won't see him at Budweiser Gardens this time around. However, you then have Ty Nelson, who is one of the top defensemen in the Ontario Hockey League, draft pick of the Seattle Kraken. Even Chentis is a draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, so you've got some some real skill on the back end. North Bay did lose some of their scoring pop, and right now they're missing their captain in Liam Arnsby. He is a Florida Panthers prospect, but he's been returned to North Bay. However, he's got an upper body injury and will not play this weekend. So the Knights dodge him a little bit because he's a guy who really can do a lot of things. He is aggressive on the forecheck. He's very skilled. And so Liam Arnsby will not be in the lineup for North Bay. So this is an opportunity for the Knights to go out, take advantage of a team that had played the night before, take advantage of a team where scoring has not come easily early in the year, but who knows? I mean, if we say this is going to be a low-scoring game because of goaltending and because of defensive ability on both sides, it'll probably end up 8-7. So I don't think we should predict it, but at the same time, we've got a good test for the Knights going up against a battalion team that learned a lot on a run all the way to Game 7 of the conference championship against Peterborough. Everybody will always wonder in North Bay, what would a series between the Knights and the Battalion have looked like for the OHL championship? Because it was so close, Kyle, to happening. It really was. And that series between, by the way, Peterborough and North Bay with Michael Simpson at the time being a member of Peterborough. And of course, um, you know, the net minor for the battalion and Devin Gendez, that, that that's one of the better goaltending matchups that we saw all last year during the playoffs and those two battling it out. No surprise to me that that series went seven. And like you said, it could have gone either way because 
if one goalie steps up and and you can't find a way to beat him early on, it just makes life so difficult for you. And I don't, maybe the Knights get into that situation. Uh, DiVincendez can be a goaltender that can go in and steal a game. Again, the battalion have started off. They're one, one and two on the year. A lot of close games, a lot of one goal games too. So you never know where that game is going to go. But then the next night they go on a Saturday, Mike, and they take on the Guelph storm going to be a very different looking Guelph storm team. They're missing cam Allen. There's a brand new goaltender in net for Guelph. And they've got a, a local kid, a Londoner skating on the top line is a 17 year old. Yeah, Jet Luchenko is off to a great start. And, you know, the Guelph Storm last year really brought him along, as a lot of teams will, pretty slowly. You know, some fourth-line minutes, some third-line minutes, lots of work in practice. And then as a 17-year-old, they decided to see maybe what he could do. And Braden Bowman is a great guy to play with. He's an overage player, very dangerous and he's also playing with Max Nemesnikov on the other side through most of the first couple of games that Guelph has played. So that line, that line has an awful lot of skill, and Bowman gives it some grit. The big question around Guelph is what happens to Matthew Poitra? Because Matthew Poitra is with the Boston Bruins right now. So the Knights avoid Liam Arnsby with North Bay. They avoid Matthew Poitra. Of course, Guelph and North Bay are saying they avoid the Knights without Easton Cowan. It's just that kind of part of the year. But Matthew Poitra has three preseason goals with the Boston Bruins. He's only 19. However, Boston has lost Patrice Bergeron. They've lost David Krejci. So they've lost two centers. And Poitra has looked good. And this has been the week where NHL teams really do ice uh, pretty close to what it's going to be opening night lineup. And Poitra played on Tuesday against Washington. And then he played again for Boston and scored the game-winning goal in a game that was played on Thursday night. So Guelph's starting to wonder, hey, you know, we need this guy. If they want to be competitive this year, Matthew Poitra is a key to that happening. And right now he's in Boston and there's every reason to believe based on his play and his age at 19 that he could start the season with the Bruins. I really could. And from what I've seen, whether on, on Twitter or Bruins fans in general from the media, they love him. They think he's the real deal. And, and we've seen it enough in the OHL to believe that he can be the real deal. And the fact that he's made that jump, we've talked about it with guys like Easton Cowan, for example, with the Leafs and other players like Luke Evangelista in Nashville, who had little stints and and the fan bases went, oh, we have a player here. That's what Pot what Poitre is right now in Boston. And there is a very legitimate opportunity for him to essentially play upwards of nine games, which is the limit that you can play um, as an underage or as a, a teenager in the NHL on your entry level deal before your first year kicks in. I think the Bruins with the departures of a guy like David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron, if you have a guy and a kid playing that well, why wouldn't you have him for the first few games to see if he could really sit up there with a the big crew, send him back down after nine games to give him that taste and then bring him back as a full-time next. I, there's a very real possibility that that might happen. At 19 years of age and the way that he's been playing and the need that the Bruins have at center it all seems to align. And that leads us probably to our last topic on the podcast, and that is, of course, Easton Cowan. And Knights fans asking, when's Easton Cowan coming back? Or is Easton Cowan going to start the year with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, the Leafs have to have their roster ready by Monday. Every NHL team does. You have to be cap compliant, salary cap compliant by Monday. And if I'm going to look at a, a wild and crazy theory, 
The Leafs are always very, very close. Remember, they have Brandon Pridham, who helped to write the collective bargaining agreement. And so this guy knows the CBA. He knows the salary cap, maybe better than anybody else. And the Leafs have him on their staff. And so what will they do to be very, very close to the cap? Because right now, going into the weekend as we speak, they are over the cap. If they don't use their LTIR money, which they will, they're $13 million over the cap. And if they do use their LTIR, then they're about $3 million over the cap. So what do they do? My wild and crazy theory is they've had a long look at two players, Easton Cowan and Fraser Minton. Minton played last year for the Kamloops Blazers, and he's somebody that went to a Memorial Cup. He was in the lineup when the Leafs iced their, this is pretty close to what you're going to see on opening night lineup in the final week of the preseason against the Detroit Red Wings. Easton Cowan did not play in that game. You have to wonder because you've got an opportunity to use somebody on an entry-level contract who's a really good, really impact player, at least the way that they played in the preseason. They're young in Minton and Cowan, but if they could have some kind of impact then that's saving dollars. And as much as you would like to say, hey, let's just load up a team with veterans. And yeah, but veterans start making one and a half, two, three, four million dollars pretty easily, even if we're talking about a guy who's on a one-year deal. And so I'm wondering how much the Leafs are looking at this from a monetary perspective. They have to be because every NHL team is. So would they be looking at keeping one of Easton Cowan or Fraser Minton? We'll see if Easton Cowan plays in the final preseason game against the Detroit Red Wings. He didn't go to Gravenhurst to the team bonding exercise, um, but he's been able to work out with the Maple Leafs, and now it, it just matters what the Leafs want to do. But that's my thought. You wonder if they're maybe holding that roster spot, thinking we could get one more entry-level contract here, and it may help to relieve a very difficult cap situation that they're facing going into the season. Well, and Mike, I think for there's a real legitimate chance that a guy like Fraser Minton stays with the team. I mean, he's been given an opportunity to potentially fill the third center line role. Uh, but like you said, Easton Cowan has just played his way to the point where the team has not sent him back to London because they think he has what it takes to stick up here for a little bit longer. From what I just read online, he is skating at the uh, morning skate for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And despite the fact that the Leafs have sent many players back to the OHL, to their junior teams, to the AHL, Easton Cowan is still a member and he's still sticking around that team right now. And he is currently skating this morning with Fraser Minton. That's what I would just, I just read the update. There you go. So they're keeping them there and Sheldon Keefe has had nothing but positive things to say. When you look back at some of the, the reaction he's had to how Easton Cowan has played, it was, well, you know, I wanted to be careful first and not to put him out in certain situations. And then you look and you say, he's playing so well that Keefe stopped thinking like that. And it was just, yeah, go. Go, go. And out he went. And so congratulations to Easton Cowan for what he's been able to do. But the answer that Knights fans want is, you know, is he coming back? Well, <laughs> if you know somebody on the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you have a direct line to Brad Treliving, that's about the only way that you are going to know the answer to what is happening with Easton Cowan. But the rosters come out on Monday. So Monday will be at least the deadline. Is he on the opening night roster? Is he not on the opening night roster? Monday or maybe a little bit before. So Thanksgiving Monday gives Knights fans and Leaf fans something to pay attention to. Before we close out, 
There are a couple more dates where the Stanley Cup is bouncing around till about the middle of October. It makes its tour through the entire team that won it in June. And this year, it's the Vegas Golden Knights. And congratulations, we've said it before, but you can't say it enough, to Misha Donskov, who was one of the original employees of the Vegas Golden Knights. And he is somebody that was there when they were picking out the carpet color, handing out laptops, carpet color for the souvenir shop. I mean, we're talking about right from the beginning. And this team built itself into a Stanley Cup champion in six years. The Edmonton Oilers won a Stanley Cup after five years in the NHL, but they weren't an expansion team. They weren't the Golden Misfits. They brought Wayne Gretzky with them from the WHA. That was a little different situation. So what Vegas did is pretty incredible. And just a little while ago, Scott Luce, who was another one of those first employees as the director of amateur scouting, got his day with the Stanley Cup. And Phil Pritchard, the keeper of the cup, brought it down and they celebrated in St. Thomas where Scott had played minor hockey and where his kids had played and where the family lived for a long time. And it was a great family reunion and friend reunion for so many family and friends of the Luce family. Uh, Scott Jones was there. He's an employee of the Vegas Golden Knights who lives in St. Thomas and has been doing exceptional things in athletic consulting for them. And then Harrison Luce was there and he's an operations supervisor, lives in Vegas. He's one of the reasons why in probably 10, 12 years, we're going to be seeing players who have hometown Vegas, Los Vegas, Nevada, that's going to be Harrison Luce because he deals with a lot of minor hockey stuff. And mm. all three of them got their day with the cup. But we got a chance to sit down with Phil Pritchard, the keeper of the cup, to talk about that day, to talk about Vegas, and I guess to talk about the travels that the Stanley Cup has had. It crisscrosses the globe from the time it's won all the way through to about the middle of October. And we asked Phil, is there anywhere outside of maybe a couple of spots in the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean where it hasn't been? It, it, it's funny you mentioned that. Here we are on uh, Sunday, midday. Last Monday I was in Melbourne, Australia because the Kings and Coyotes had training camp there. So it was the first time, funny enough, we've taken the cup below the equator which is huge, I think, for hockey that it's played in 96 countries. But today, here we are in St. Thomas. Mother Nature is a hockey fan today, too, because it's beautiful out. And the loose family tradition is hockey. And it's, it's such a special, emotional day today for Scott and his family, Harrison, and then obviously Dad, to be part of this whole giving back to the community and the Looses do it so well. You see that emotion from everybody. You get a chance to see them at their proudest moments. What is that like? I, I mean, to me, I, I think, and we both know we're in the hockey world, it's such a small community, but it's a community that is so important to everyone around because they're, they're all interconnected, whether it's through the hockey rink or through the local sports store or something. But I think what is so special that nobody ever forgets anybody. They're all important to them. And that's what makes it emotional. That's what makes it powerful. And that's, I think, what the respect of the Stanley Cup does. Phil, maybe it's fitting that we're honoring the Vegas Golden Knights right now. How much of your job goes by the line, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and that you will see some things, but you can never speak of those things again? 
it's such a fitting line, isn't it? <laughs> and it, I took the Vegas Golden Knights six long years to get to the cup final and win it. Uh, but, you know, I mean, from that night when they won all the way through to now, it's been an amazing run. George McVie and his team, they've assembled such a great unit, and you can see it in Scott and, and Harrison and, and everyone that's part of the team. They're so special, and it's such a family. But, yeah, there are some stories that will not be told. There are things that have been eaten out of the Stanley Cup. I mean, is there ever... Because you are the keeper of the cup. You have to make sure the cup is okay. Almost that the cup is okay with what it's being asked to do. Is there ever a time when somebody says, you know, my my aunt makes this wonderful tomato soup, and I'd love to eat the tomato soup out of... The cup. Is there anything like that that will happen that you kind of have to say, you know, maybe let's eat the tomato soup beside the cup? Well, it, it's funny you mentioned tomato soup because being red, tomato soup, it could stain the cup. That and red wine are the two we might not be able to do because it, it can't stain the engravings on the inside. But it, it's, it's been, we've been very fortunate over the years to have some great cultural foods from different countries around the world in it, whether it's pierogies or poutine or what have you. We were in Latvia this year. They had some traditional uh, kind of like a goulash in it and that. It's so important to those guys because they grew up with that culture, with that food, and it, it makes them feel like home. And, that, and that's so special to They think enough that the Stanley Cup is part of their culture. And it's the eating or drinking out of the cup. Very few trophies give you that opportunity. This one does. It does. And I, I remember a few years ago we were there with the, uh, with the Super Bowl that was down in Tampa. And they brought the Super Bowl. And the players that brought it said, we can't eat out of our trophy. We can't drink out of our trophy. This is awesome. Not that the Stanley Cup was ever figured out as to be a bowl to eat out of. But 36 inches high and 35 pounds of sports history and food history. Incredible. Phil Pritchard joining us. Phil, just a couple more things. And one of those being, if we are to look at your life with the cup and, and how that works, how much traveling do you do from the time that it is won in whatever city that is in June up until, I'm not sure, sometime in the fall? Does it go back to maybe a little bit normal? Yeah, it's, it's funny. They, so that you win the cup and the team gets 100 days with it. And that 100 days includes travel and all of that. All the players get it, all the staff, everybody. And it's, it's a whirlwind of summer. I was sitting there in the background listening to Scott Luce's story today when he was telling everybody about being on the road and that. I'm thinking, boy, that's very similar to my life, too. And, and probably yours. Our hockey lives, that, that's what it is. And it's not us that just do it. It's our family. It's my wife. It's my kids. And that, I think, makes it special because they're all in. One last thing, and that is the rules for the Stanley Cup. There is a protocol, and there are things you can do and things you cannot do. There are things you have to make sure people don't do. What is that? Well, I, I, one of the greatest things about being a Stanley Cup champion is you get to hoist it over your head. As we all saw Scott walk in with it today, hoist it over his head. He can do that for the rest of his life now. He's part of the union of being a Stanley Cup winner. But in saying that, you and I just can't walk over and pick it up. We haven't earned that right. You look at Scott's resume of what he's gone to to win that, he's earned that. And one of the things we try and focus on with the Cup and with fans is respect the trophy. Respect what it is. 
Ray Bork waited 20 plus years to hoist it. There's no reason why someone walks off the street and just wants to pick it up. So I think that's the biggest thing when we talk to the guys is just respect the heritage, respect what it is, respect the sport, and it will respect you back. Those players that wait so long and then get to do it, you get to see them in their most emotional moments. How much does that stick with you? It's very powerful, I think. The speeches, the thank yous, they think of stuff that every guy goes through stuff to get to where they are, but it's like they don't forget any of it. It's like they've spent years making this list. Who am I going to thank if it ever happens? And when it does, it all explodes and pours out of them. So special, so unique to be part of it. I'm kind of like a fly on the wall, I guess, at every party. To see it all, it's amazing. To be part of it, pretty fortunate. Phil, thanks for spending some time with us. As always, wait till next time. We'll see you soon. (laughs) That is Phil Pritchard, known as the keeper of the Stanley Cup, the thing that everybody playing in the OHL right now is trying to one day win, maybe after they win a Memorial Cup. Well, we see two home games this weekend, Kyle. We'll recap those on the next episode, and then the Knights will go to Peterborough in less than a week for their first rematch with the Peterborough Peets, and it could mean a Michael Simpson versus Zach Bowen goaltending matchup, only they would be wearing the opposite uniforms that they were wearing in the OHL championship a year ago. It's crazy to think that that is a circumstance that will happen. And just a few weeks ago, you know, before this trade even happened, Zach Bowen was gearing up to be with London. Uh, Michael Simpson was getting ready to return with Peterborough. And all of a sudden that gets swapped afterwards. And they're wearing different jerseys. They've got different decals on their pads and helmets and all that stuff. And it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to see an early matchup between those two on. And and again, Zach was a, a phenomenal member of the London Knights here. Hopefully he has a great deal of success over there in Peterborough. And that's, that's going to be a fun matchup. Can't wait. Kyle, have yourself a very happy Thanksgiving weekend. All the best to you and your family. And we will talk soon. You as well, Mike. Enjoy. And uh, we'll see you next time.